king and we want him now we want a king and we want him now we want a king all right welcome 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 to civil discourse this is not a safe space and i know what i said in the last episode but i was wrong here it is that wonderful deep voice that you all know charles say hello to the people hi out there ladies and gentlemen such a pleasure to be with you here today is it, oh, you mean this voice? I'm sorry. Yes, I mean that radio voice you have. Yes, Charles unexpectedly Keith, came Keith just back fell out him. of his chair in the uh, recording booth. But yes, welcome to another episode of Civil Discourse. This is not a safe space. I'm Charles Frederick Sacrese, and it is a pleasure to be back in studio with you guys. I, uh, I've been gone the last, what was, has it been two weeks? It's been it's been a couple of weeks, and, and uh, our uh, engineer extraordinaire Keith uh, uh, filled in admirably for you. So we're we're very grateful to him for for doing a couple episodes with me, and we're both I'm sure very happy to have you back as well. We we missed you, but we did okay without you. If that's is that a backhanded compliment or a front-handed compliment? No, it's it 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 makes me feel comfortable that I can walk out of out of the room, and the children will not uh, you know paint the walls. I feel good. Oh, I didn't say we didn't. <laughs> the walls <laughs> but, but yes we we did run amok but in a i hopefully a very constructive and positive well, way this, so. after all this is not a safe space so running amok is sort of part part and parcel to uh, what we do here i will say that uh if anyone's interested in where i was i was on a two-week motorcycle tour uh from where i am recording here in connecticut out to Yellowstone National Park um, by way of Gettysburg, the Ozarks. Uh, let's see, we went through across Kansas into Denver and then wound our way through Rocky Mountain National Park out to Utah and then up through Idaho and, uh, and um, Wyoming into the southern part of Yellowstone, which is all we could do, unfortunately, because of the floods that had happened out there. The northern part of the park is closed. Mm. And then we headed out the east gate of Yellowstone uh, down through the canyon, which, and and I should say, I have done some driving in some pretty far reaches and corners of the world. If you've never been out to Yellowstone and specifically exited or entered by the east gate, it might be the greatest road ever made in the world. It is a close competition between the road itself as a driver slash rider and the views as you're climbing um, up or down, depending on which way you're going through the canyon walls. It was just, I think, one of the best driving experiences I've had. And as a motorcycler, it was incredible. Um and then we went down through the Black Hills. We, we went past Devil's Tower and down through into uh, Deadwood in the Black Hills of South Dakota. Went out and saw Mount Rushmore. Continued on across to uh, Milwaukee and went to the Harley-Davidson Museum. And then uh, took the ferry across Lake Michigan and down through Michigan, Ohio, Pennsylvania and back home to here we are. It was an incredible trip. Oh, you took the Ludington Ferry. Yes. Yes, I know the Ludington Ferry. So it um, sounds like an amazing trip. Unfortunately, you picked like the hottest, like record highs all through Kansas. And, and I know you guys roasted and um, I'm sure it wasn't all pleasant. With, so. with, without disparaging any of our listeners who might uh, be from or have a, a deep love for Kansas, I will say one of our writers, uh, I noticed in my mirror, was waving his hand wildly Um in, in some form of, of, of aggressive gesture. And I couldn't see the look on his face. He had a helmet on. So I pulled over thinking maybe he had to use the facilities or something. And uh, having been at the head of the group and I pulled over and he said, why'd you stop? And I said, well, you were, you were gesturing. I thought you needed to pull over. You're having an emergency. He said, no, I just, I had, I was counting trees. I got up to number six. I was really excited. <laughs> so... <laughs> I wish that was a joke, but no, that's exactly what he said. They call it the Great, great Plains for a reason. Uh, so anyway, it's it's uh, no, and, and I it was it was interesting because when you left, I was uh, helping out a, a nationally syndicated radio show. I know you you're aware I do that from time to time, reading the news forum, and was reading about the record highs killing uh, beeves in in Kansas City. 
And I, I thought uh, my brother-in-law is riding through there right now. It must be miserable at a hundred and whatever degrees it was. So, um, but it sounds like you had a great time regardless and uh, were able to stay hydrated because you're back safe, right? Yeah, I'm here. All the limbs are still attached. The bike uh, stopped and started when I wanted it to and generally steered where I needed it to go. And um, <laughs> There's a story to that. We may share someday. <laughs> so, uh, we've done a lot of riding together and we've seen things not end up so well. We'll just leave it at that for now. But hey, you know, we, we ought to talk about something uh, not as fun as your trip, but, but something a bit more serious. and. Uh, I had a thought that we could talk about the consequences of election and participation, uh, specifically participation. So what do you think? Well, okay. So again, by the time this episode airs, this topic will be uh, several weeks old, but I think no less on the tips of, of our tongues and minds. And specifically um, in the wake of the Supreme Court ruling over Roe v. Wade. And I think I was, this happened while I was on the road. Um, it did. Yeah. It did. So I remember seeing it flash across my uh, my screen um, as I get notifications, as we all do. Which, by the way, wouldn't the world be a better place if notifications went away? If you could get through your day and maybe just sit down and catch up on the news that you missed through the day instead of having it, you know, give you cause to run off the road uh, <laughs> or something uh, in the moment. But anyhow, um, I was, of course, you know, that evening and so forth, following some of the coverage on this and some of the commentary and so forth. And I, I'm just going to put this out there ahead of time. I am likely to offend a lot of people in what I'm going to say over the next hour. Um, and most of those people I am inclined to believe will be uh, my so-called fellow lefties. Um, so just, you know, buckle your seatbelts and here we go. I'm, I'm prepared for the fan mail, so to speak. Let, let me interject, though. I, I, it's likely that I will offend everyone you don't. <laughs> So we'll, so we we'll cover, we'll cover all the bases. Okay. <laughs> yes. um, when we said not a safe space, we meant for us. Um, yes. <laughs> so, I mean, I'll just go ahead and say for the fact, I disagree with the decision that the Supreme Court made. And we can go into all the various reasons why and why not. And honestly, that's not what I'm interested in talking about. But, you know, within the context of what I do want to discuss I'm sure some questions will come up. Well, where do I stand? So let me just say for now, I was a supporter and still am a supporter of uh, what I see as a woman's right to choose. Religion aside, faith, belief, morale, whatever it is, that's going to be the ground on which I will firmly stand. But as to the merits of Roe v. Wade, abortion, the reason, none of that actually interests me for what I want to talk about. Okay. The substance I'm interested in is the reaction that I had as I listened to the outrage, and I don't think there's a better word for it, the absolute outrage that was expressed, the shock, the horror, the unexpected uh, variety of emotions that people displayed upon this ruling, even in light of that leak that happened a couple of what weeks, months ago, it seems yesterday and forever ago. Right. And the thing that, that struck me was a similar experience I had the day after Donald Trump got elected. And I don't know, I'm saying the day after, but within a day or two, we had parades of protest. And what, what did they call the, the women with the hats? with a certain part right, of a right, woman's right, body right, right. Uh, being in and, and all of this stuff. March? Was it the women's march? Was yeah, the, the million women's march or whatever. And, and fine. I mean, protest away. That's part of the freedoms of our country. I, I don't have a problem with, with protest on its own merits. But one of the things that I remember standing out for me was, and here, get ready, here comes the offensive thing. Um, they interviewed a particular celebrity um, feminist, and I honestly don't remember the name of the person. I remember what was said. I don't remember who it was exactly, but I do recall that at the time it was in fact a, a well-known personality in the women's liberation uh, and rights uh, uh, feminist movement, uh, which is an ongoing thing. And as far as I'm concerned, something to be uh, supported in general. However, 
the question that had been put forward was, you know, uh, how do you feel about the Donald Trump, what he's saying, what the perceptions of him as a, uh, a pro or against women's rights and liberation, blah, blah, blah. And the response was, you know, we women are a force that it's to be contended with, will not be denied. We are going to rise up. We are going to take back this, this, you know, and, and so on. You can fill in the blanks. We've all heard the, the, the speeches before. And I remember having this thought. Uh, when? You just had an election. Where were you? Now, granted, many, many millions of women absolutely did roll up their sleeves and get out and vote and get out and write their Congress folk and get out and participate. And, and in no way am I talking to those people. But I believe the population of this country is still the major, majority women, female, right? Uh, yes, it's a uh, uh, 52, 53 to 47 or so. And, and most of those are older women, by the way. Okay. Uh, okay. The, uh, the generation that fought for those freedoms in the first place, right? Right, right. Um, so here you had the opportunity to rise up, strike a blow against uh, uh, toxic masculinity and all this other stuff, which I agree should a blow should be struck if, if, if it's the wrong thing that's happening. Where were you then? Where were you yesterday during the election? Where was this vast movement that is now wearing the genital hats on their head? Okay. <laughs> it's, a, it's a fair question. And, and it's an interesting question. And, and I am a guy, and, and you know this, I'm a guy who's rolled up my sleeves and gone into uh, fight for causes I truly believed in mm -hmm. and, and uh, was very active in the anti-war protests uh, during the Bush administration. And I've shared this with you, but I'll share it with everybody. The interesting thing to me always was once a new president was elected, I was standing out there by myself along with uh, well, and other other folks of my political ilk, libertarian movement, and the operation, I think it's called Operation Pink Folks. All the rest of the people stopped showing up to those protests because they thought they had elected the right guy to end those wars. And, and, the, and the moral of the story, and, and Keith and I actually touched on this last week, those wars didn't end. It just kept right on going, right? And And to your point, it's a season. They're not, a lot of Americans are not in for the long haul. And a lot of these issues are systemic issues that you have to be in the long haul, regardless of where you you lie on the political spectrum. If your big thing is you're against abortion uh, and you believe life begins at conception, you really didn't win much. Everything goes back to the states. And as far as I know, abortion is legal in all 50 states. And so- Well, not today. Uh, it is. It is up to 15 weeks, up to 15 weeks. So oh, I, I thought but, several of the states just. Uh, uh, I, I don't know that the Oklahoma law has gone into effect no. uh, now. Well, again, though, again, none of that actually interests me. What I'm right. What right I'm, but the point, the yeah, point I was making is you haven't won, nobody's won and or lost anything yet. You can now wage these battles at the state level. And, and if your side prevails, so be it. And, and I think that's really the point is. You didn't lose. Don't give up. You didn't win. Don't give up. Whatever your side may be in any issue, it doesn't have to be a portion. Well, and, and that's that's fine. And 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 clearly, there are plenty of people who feel there are battles that need to be waged. And go for it. Absolutely. Right. I'm, I'm I'm in no way saying it's not a worthy fight and we shouldn't do it. Here's my thing. I and 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 you know I hate to be uh, uh, what's you know Daddy Sam. You've heard of Uncle Sam. I don't want to be Daddy Sam. I don't want to sit here and roll up my sleeves and say and scold America, but I'm going to do it anyway. So I'm I'm formally stepping on my high horse. You we we need to stop dealing like we are children in this country. It is. A nation that is designed to be governed by, for, and of the people. And if the people choose not to govern by engaging themselves, then you don't get to cry and whimper when the people who are willing to step up do what it is they have been clearly stating they want to do. And 
it's we come up with all kinds of excuses why uh, you know once in past conversations you and I have talked about how and and we agree about this there's this misnomer that any an individual president or an individual you know whatever the position may be is suddenly going to be the savior of our cause and our our country and all this other stuff and that's a joke we have some that are more effective than others we have some that are better communicators than others and we have you know a variety of different things but no one person is going to step in and fix all of your woes whatever those woes may be uh, from either side of the spectrum however there is a a culture within certain political communities, you know, what you call it, right, left, Democratic, Republican, whatever you, however you want to define those communities, that generally, not in totality, but generally stands for things that for most of us lean a little bit more towards our, our inclination, uh, culturally, right. morally, ethically, whatever you want to call it, politically. And if you choose to ignore the direction that things are are moving in by in especially if it's moving in a direction towards people who are as plain as the nose on your face about what their intentions and desires and, and ambitions are and you sit on your laurels and, and 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 or sit on your hands and and you know click and see what's on uh uh, who wants to be a millionaire or whatever ridiculous thing is on TV tonight and don't participate, then you don't get to be shocked when a, a president manages to get three new people on a, a the court that clearly are going to be leaning towards a side that is not for what you, you claim you stand for. But if you can't get out and vote then I question how what what was the conviction you had for these things you say you stood for, and it's not because what's interesting is as I you know I when you ride a motorcycle you get lots of thinking time, for <laughs> miles and miles and hours and hours you have nothing but thoughts in your head. Those, those loud radios you hear you really can't hear them. It's <laughs> <not>. <laughs> so, and so it was, I I had lots of time to mull over this yes. and. It was interesting because despite all of this, and, and I've made it clear, I mean, look, the, the whole operation of this podcast is we're supposed to be a, a, a left-leaning and a right-leaning co-host that take these larger issues and try and examine them from both sides of the aisle and, and maybe look for some common ground. So let me own my left-leaning side of the aisle. Um, I could not stand the human being that was Donald Trump. It, it, I'll just, I'm saying that for a reason, not to go into what is and is not right. For me, he was the antithesis of everything that I um, believe was, was ideal for me, at least, in a leader. Okay. My type of leader. Obviously, people felt that way about Hillary. Obviously, people felt that way about all kinds of presidents over history. Doesn't matter. That's not my point. What was interesting as I was thinking about this is that I started to, to be able to understand, I, I always knew it on the surface, but I didn't quite fully uh, appreciate the depths of, of this idea because many of us on the left have been inclined to think, regardless of your politics, if you are any kind of an ethical person, a moral person, a genuinely Christian person for those who, 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 where that was a thing. How could you possibly support, quote, a man like Donald Trump? Because from our perspective, he doesn't embody any of those qualities. He embodies greed, selfishness, this, that, and the other. That's, that's the arguments we, we make for ourselves, whether you agree with it or not, doesn't matter. So we ask ourselves, how could any decent human being and many of whom we knew in our families and friends vote for somebody like that. And it was on this motorcycle ride after Vera V. Wade was overturned at the national level, I guess, that I started to actually get it a little bit. It had the voting for Donald Trump was not a vote for Donald Trump for a lot of people. It was a vote for one of two other things. And some people obviously were very much supportive of him and that's clear. But for, I think, Probably most people, I would argue, 
it was a vote for either Republican, quote, values, conservative values. And if you're going to lean to the left, to the right, uh, what we consider the conservative values, who, that's the guy. That's the candidate. I mean, whether you agree with how he got there or whatever it is, I mean, that's the man in the, the box to, to, to go with. And you're not voting necessarily for him, but you're voting for the, the substance of, of and culture that he is going to perpetuate in our, our governmental leadership. When it, and a big one of those is the kind of judges he's going to put on, on the bench if the opportunity comes. Conversely... I'll, I'll say it. I was no fan of Hillary. The woman excited. Uh, I, the idea of a woman, uh, a qualified and inspiring woman becoming president of these United States, I'm about 110%. I love that idea. Now, who that's going to be, now we start getting into the mire a little bit. Hillary Clinton excited me in no way, shape, or form. But my personal leanings, being a bit on the left side of the aisle, uh, are going to want somebody of her political inclination, regardless of what we think of her as an individual, to be the person who gets the opportunity to put judges on a stand, the person who gets the opportunity to uh, encourage certain types of legislation or culture or whatnot that is part of the left political leaning of our country. Not extreme, but you know, that side. So when it came time to vote, regardless of what I thought of her as a human being, hers was the name in the slot. So my options are to either vote for that person as a support for left politics or liberal politics, we'll call it progressive politics, whatever you want to call it, or to not vote at all. And for me personally, that's not an option. I know you, there's a third option, write in whoever you want or, or the third party, but in practicality, American politics just don't work that way. And we've had this conversation many times. You have. And, and, you know, I am the guy who supports the fringe candidates. I did not vote for Hillary, uh, nor would I ever. And, and I did not vote for Donald Trump, nor would I ever. Yeah. And uh, it's it's one of those things where I've always been a, a supporter of the fringe candidates. Uh, you know, there Which, have by been the way, some... I want to say in support of that, it is important. And I think that many of us would be more inclined if we felt, and this is where it's ironic, if we felt they had a snowball's prayer in hell of actually getting elected, that we probably would have voted for a lot of those fringe. And of course, if we did vote, then suddenly that snowball has a chance, right? But... Right, right. right. <laughs> and you heard me say it, and, and folks, this is not going to be new to Charles. I've said it a hundred times to him, and he, he rolls his eyes at me. But I've always told you and you've heard me say it many times when you vote for the lesser of two evils you're still voting for evil and, and so i don't i'm not gonna vote for evil and and you and i explored let's let I, i'm gonna tell on you you and i explored i think her name was jill scott and, and by the time we got done i said even if i were a progressive i couldn't vote for her uh and and you said see i told you so uh, well, I, don't, I don't think it was jill scott but you know jill I can't remember who who she was, the one who ran. Uh, Engineer Keith, the the woman who came in fourth place. Well, she uh, was the Trump. military background, yes? No, no, that was Tulsi Gabbard, who okay. I like. Okay, I'm sorry, yeah. yes, yeah. This was the woman who ran on the, third, the Green Jill Party. Stein. Stein, Jill Stein, Stein, Jill Stein. Jill Scott's a jazz singer, by the way. I'm still in the episode a few episodes ago. <laughs> <laughs> but no, no, Jill Stein. Uh, and, uh, you know, we both explored what she stood for and, and I put myself, um, uh, which I, I, you and I both have this ability where we can take the other person's positions and kind of think the way through. I said, I couldn't vote for her. Uh, even if I held all those values, uh, uh there was just some things that we didn't care for in our discussion. Uh, I'm a guy who voted for Gary Johnson. I, I, in the first time, uh, Trump ran and, and thought he, uh, he, I knew he didn't have a snowball's chance in hell, but when it came to what I stood for, he and I were, were not 100%, but we were a good 65 to 70% aligned. And, and he was anti-war, which everyone should know by now is a big issue for me. Uh, whereas I thought Trump was kind of a squish and uh, I knew Hillary was for the big war machine. Um, so, and Trump talked a, a peace game, if you all remember the prior oh, election. Okay. He, he was all about peace. We saw how that worked out, but he was all about peace. Um, so, uh, Which, yeah, by the I, way, I, for the most part, most candidates, 
that is the line they 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 put out there. You know, we're going to bring our Usually. troops home. We're going to this, that, and the other, and then somehow it doesn't seem to work out that way. Yeah, yeah the big question libertarians love to ask uh, Republicans is how did that humble horror foreign policy that George Bush promised us uh, work out for you? And yes, so well, it was. Well. Uh, you but know, here, it, this goes back to my point, which is this idea that any one individual is going to be this great savior. It doesn't. doesn't, It's a myth. And if that's what you're voting for, you are going to be sorely disappointed every time. I mean, (laughs) there's only one Jesus. There's only one Muhammad. You know, there's there's only so much you can expect from a human being. And, you know, to be fair, if I can be fair at all, uh, none of us have had to sit in that seat. And it is very easy with the pressure we don't have on us uh, of the entire world quite literally looking at us for the answers. I'm going to give a little bit of grace to say, I don't know what it's like to be in that space. Um, Does that excuse some of the horrors that have been commanded from that chair? No. But I will allow room to say I don't know what it's like to be in that position. And it's true. No matter what is said on the campaign trail, the minute uh, you take that oath, life changes and perspective changes. Um, so I'm, I'm going to leave a little room for that. A little, not too much. <laughs> but we, we can look at pictures of these uh, so far men who, who take the office at the beginning of office and after the first four years, and we can see it visibly ages them uh, tremendously. Until and Donald Trump. Eight, I don't think he aged a, a day. I don't know. Uh, I didn't see a difference. Plastic. That's all plastic <laughs> surgery. But anyway, I don't know that. I'm just saying that. I, I, I it's think, something. Uh, I, I think it's, a, I think it's a, an interesting thing, though, to talk about those levels of engagement. And, and I, I think it's it's you know, you go, I'm, and I'm all for peaceful protest. I, I'm all for going out and, and, and uh, making your voice heard. I don't have a particular problem with folks standing outside the Capitol and saying that you shouldn't do this and you shouldn't no, do that. No, that's I don't. absolutely I all. And, you know, I was, I, if you read history, uh, steamrolling those kind of protests is an American tradition, whether we like it or not. Uh, and I'm talking about the bonus army protesters. So if you're a history buff, go check sure, that out on sure. the internet. But, you know, it's it's one of those things where I'm all for that kind of stuff. And, and as long as you're not destroying private property, I think you rock and roll and, and you get your voice heard. And here's my, I, I'm going to say this, and, and it's, I don't think it's terribly controversial. The most effective place to do that is your local community. Okay, okay, so... I'm glad you said that because I was actually going to throw a bone your way and you beat me to it, but let me throw it anyway. Uh, now that you see it coming. I, so I want to first say, I respect your statement uh, regardless of, of, you know, the politics, I will not vote for what I consider evil, lesser of two evils or not. And, right. you know, this is, this is all perception uh, that we work to to bring some sense to ourselves of of what we're doing what what our vote means uh in the big picture and you know to our us as individuals and i i have a lot of respect for that and and i'm actually going to say to you here now i'm going to give some time and thought to that idea um there we have a very flawed voting system in this country now uh what was it churchill says democracy is the worst form of government except for all the others right. <laughs> you know? and, and as a representative uh republic or a constitutional republic um like we are you're not even really vote you're voting for delegates who vote yes <laughs> which voting so, as, as far as i'm concerned is an extreme this system yeah. is bad i'm just saying that's the way the system is yeah. i'm not saying the system is good either so anyway but but here's the thing it's it i i think the substance of of what i'm getting at here and and again i'm i'm going to go ahead and own that i'm speaking from and to the left side of the the aisle here um i think that i, I hope though i don't have a lot of hope that what just happened in the Supreme Court is a generational wake-up call. And and I'm not saying, again, I don't care what your position is on any issue. The bottom of the line is, if, if it's something that is actually important in the, it, it, as part of the larger culture of our society, you cannot fail to engage. Now, Two things. One, what uh, you just said, Mike, 
sometimes the engagement is superficial at the big level. Sometimes it really is. Uh, not always. Um, and, and who gets to put uh, judges on the Supreme Court is nothing to throw away. That's, no, as no. far as I'm concerned, the Supreme Court is the most powerful house uh, 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 section branch of our government. Um, it is. You know, when they've made a ruling, I don't care what you do with the numbers we have and the age range of and, and, and political direction of our nation right now. Uh, Roe v. Wade's done for generation. At least oh, it's, it's going to be 50 years. It's, it's just done. like Roe v. Wade sat for 50 years. Uh, and don't, don't, yeah. well, absolutely. And and it let's just be honest about that. It's not something that any amount of protest and, and you know, and, and some of these, uh, frankly, I think completely eye off the ball uh, left wing politicians that are going out and saying those judges lied in their confirmation hearings. They were going to vote for this. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's a lifetime <laughs> Uh, appointment. If if they choose to retire or they die, that's when they get out. Unless you, they somehow get convicted of some terrible illegality. All right, all right. I got I got to interrupt. The irony of a politician accusing anybody of lying. Come well, on now. this is my point. This is my point. All of these arguments are are what um, nobody probably knows the term red herring anymore. But yeah, it, it is they're all red herrings. Absolutely. absolutely. It, it, and so, and again, I'm criticizing my own base here, so to speak even though it's hard for me to really say they're my people uh, when I, when you start ripping back the, the, the wound a little bit, but it's this idea that you have literally stared at the, the knife of a butcher. And I'm just using a metaphor here, people and, and looked at it uh, preparing to come down. Maybe an executioner is a better image. Uh, well, he's not raising the ax up for show. It's coming down. And that's exactly what happened. There was plenty of opportunity and plenty of warning over the last number of years to do something about it. And don't tell me that that is what the nation wanted when we have... Uh, Less on average, less than fifty percent voter turnout. You can't argue that that was the passionate uh, uh, hill on which people in at, in large mass, especially women. And yes, I'm going to call you out, ladies. If this was such an important issue to, issue to you, then more than fifty percent of you should have come to the polls. And. I'm not I agree with the damn issue, but you don't get to to scream outrage when you didn't show up. And young people are notoriously terrible at showing up to the polls. Uh, the older you are, the more likely you are to vote in this country. The, the most powerful demographic in the U.S. is 65 plus year olds. They, they are loyal voters. Uh, it's a very high percentage of them that vote. I haven't, I don't have the number at my fingertips, so I'm not going to show, throw it out there. It's well over 50%. Uh, and, and they essentially are electing your officials. They, they also show up to those primaries where it's 6,000 votes versus 4,000 votes. Uh, you know, they do show up to those primaries. And, why and that's do you, why, really do you, why do you think that is though? And, and this is really interesting to explore. What has been the cultural shift. And I have a couple ideas, but I'd like to hear yours first. Oh, these, these are the guys and gals who voted for John Kennedy and were inspired young people uh, who, who, was a, who was a candidate who was elected by a youth wave. Which, by uh, the way, the country was as divided and torn up back then, Absolutely. if not more so Absolutely. than it is now. I mean, you can't Absolutely. say that if they were all singing and sitting around singing Kumbaya. I mean, we had race, war, Vietnam. All of these issues were just ripping things apart. But somehow apart. people felt that inspired to get more engaged in because of that, not completely disengaged. And is our apathy justified? I mean, can you really say that? Yeah. I mean, there, what is there it? is a contingent of folks, and and a lot of them voted for Donald Trump, and and, and I'm not going to uh, assault their character. There is a contingent of folks that think that the machine, and it, it goes across racial lines. It goes across. It doesn't really go across uh, income lines. It, it's generally lower middle and and lower income folks who believe everything is rigged. Everything is already chosen, and there's no reason to vote because of that. And, and I've heard that argument articulated, not just face-to-face -face conversations. I heard it articulated in the media. Why mm -hmm. should I vote? My vote doesn't make a difference. Well, not, and, not only that, I, I, 
because you're talking about why aren't you going to the polls? What about in locations where it's made almost impossible for lower income people to get to the polls? Where polling well, hours are only I, open I, certain times a day. They're only open one day a week. There's, there's not early voting in every state. You know, access to polling, gerrymandering, which makes your vote not even count because they've gerrymandered it in such a way that it only goes to the right people. And the people that are outraged, their vote really isn't counting because of how it's it's done. There's and there's the new the new laws that just went on the books this year about you can't bring water to people waiting in line to vote. You know, you're making it. It's not just some of those are old laws that have been around and, and reinforced by those laws. You know, they called it pandering to voters. And it comes from the days. This is no lie. Historically, what we used to do in this country was you open up your whiskey keg and I was running for office. And if you like my whiskey, you voted for me. And if you like Keith's whiskey, you voted for Keith. And whoever gave the best party usually won those local elections. Uh, I, 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 I going down the minutia of those laws, I, I every state has absentee balloting. Every state has absentee balloting. If you're not going to be able to make it to the polls, you still don't have an excuse. And and, and we have not explored whether we should vote or not yet. But and we may not even get to that. But you know, Charles, I think I think the point is is, and, and you really don't have an excuse not to vote. Not with absentee balloting, which you can do all through the mail, by the way. But yeah, through, but through education, like people think absentee balloting means you're physically not going to be in the state. That's what people right. think that's not are the growing, law anymore. But, but people don't know. It's, it's, well, it's about, so again, there's a combination. Education. They don't understand that it could be for anybody. If you can't, if you have to work, you can use an apathy balance. They don't know that. But you also, we you also have that have, education system. So, so, so Keith, what you're bringing up is, <laughs> is a very important part of this, which is both the perception of voting efficacy, um, or at least personal voting efficacy, and some very real things that uh, have been, you know, done in certain parts of the country, probably to some degree, every part of the country, but certainly more in, in, in certain areas that have made um, voting challenging in various ways or or because and this is where media is a thing where you have uh, individuals, whether they're actually in office or just have a mic microphone planting the idea that that it's rigged, it's this, it's that. And in those buying that uh, whatever it is and, and accepting that that premise, uh, it would be interesting um, to look at some of those places where uh, voting being made more challenging for certain demographics what are the population densities of those on average, those areas? Because while I, I, I believe that all of that is happening and is making it very difficult for a lot of people, I do wonder if that is still, when you break down the numbers, uh, stopping the vast majority of people who choose not to vote from voting. Um, I, I I would contend it's not. I, I think it's an excuse. And I'm just being real. Well, there's also there, there's another part of the population going the other side on the conservative side where in extreme religious organizations, women aren't allowed to vote because their husband won't let them vote. Don't forget about that part of the population. I know that as well. exists too, but again, I would argue but that's not small though. That's a big chunk of well, people. See, this is this is I don't know what those numbers are as I sit here. Evangelicals. Oh, I, I don't think that I've not. And I, the, there I've are certain evangelical sects that women aren't allowed to vote or, speak but, to but them, or it, they can't vote what their husband doesn't well, love. And, like uh, they have to vote what their husband says they have to vote. But chances are, if if that is going to land on a conservative vote anyway, it will. I would argue most of those groups are probably going to be on the right side of the aisle. And the right side's winning in these issues when it comes to the court and things of this nature. So I'm not saying that's not real. I'm not saying that's not happening, but it would still be interesting to see what are the actual numbers relative to people who are just bowing out. And when you look at the way the vote goes down in some of these cases, I mean, yeah, uh, we have Biden in office and no, I don't buy that Trump really won. I, I'm not part of that gang. Um, by any means. Um, but do I think Biden won by a landslide? Do I think that the left came out in such veracity to stand against, uh, you know, and even if they did, you can argue Hillary got the popular vote, but it, but it wasn't by enough that it made a difference. 
I mean, if if the if the values of of liberal and left progressive politics are that strong, and women's rights and 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 abortion rights and whatever it is that falls under that that voting rights and all these other things that are considered platforms of the left, if they were that strong, I refuse to believe that all of those things, which I think are legitimate challenges being given to our voting uh, freedoms. L- adds up to over 50, even anywhere near 50% of the voting population. It's a huge number of people that are not getting engaged relative to the expression of outrage when what we knew was coming down the line actually finally happens. Well, I, I think it's also not just engagement. It's also just the way the system's set up. When you're talking about a state in the Midwest that has a population of less than New York City has the same Senate representation no of California. No doubt. No, Why should. do we have two it Dakotas? Should. Why <laughs> it should not? It should not have the same representation. <laughs> well, Absolutely. no, the Absolutely system was not. set up so that you had a, you had the balance between, in some aspects, the population speaks, and in other aspects, every state has a certain amount of equality. Absolutely. Why does grass have more rights than people in a major city? <laughs> oh, that's, that's what's not, happening. That's but that's what it's set up to do. It was set up like it, that because that's up. the only way I they could get were, certain people to sign on to the Constitution. Well, no, it was a, a compromise. It was a compromise <laughs> that's long overdue to be getting rid of. Now, now no, here's where here's never. where I'm going to disagree. I I don't know that that I would I would agree that it should be tossed away. However, um, something I do question is the efficacy of our electoral college, which is an an absolute effect of what you're talking about, and I'm going to agree with you on that. However. Part of the challenge that we're dealing with is the part, the most, again, I think the Supreme Court is probably the most powerful branch without a question of our government. It may not be able to make laws, but it gets to tell you whether you get to enforce them or not. And that particular power is a function of the Senate, which is given that power equally among the states. Now, whether you want to, whether it should be or shouldn't be, I mean, we can debate that. But the bottom line is that is one of the areas where, as you say, grass is being given the same equal say as as people if you want to really talk about numbers. And that is how it was set up. I mean, that's what the Constitution says. It was set up that way for a reason. It's a federal system. It's not a national system. And we need to be aware of that. Define the difference there. What does that mean? Federal versus national. There are essentially two levels of government in the system. You had 13 independent and free states, as in nations, who joined together to create this federal system. When the British ended the war with the colonists, each one of those colonies became its own independent nation. And then we worked under the Articles of Confederation for a few years. We decided that wasn't going to work. And so we had the convention. Mm-hmm. Coming into the convention, the most powerful one of those states was Virginia. Virginia at that time ranged from what is today traditional Virginia, West Virginia, Kentucky. It had all the money, mm-hmm. it had all the power, and that's why if you look at our first half dozen pres, our first dozen presidents, came out of there, yeah, yeah, six or seven of them are from Virginia. The concern from the New England. Uh, folks and, and others was that Virginia would basically run the nation, just like the concern on the right side of the aisle today is that California and New York would run the nation and, and they would, and they would by far. And, and so Virginia had no clue what it was like to be in the, the far in the forest of Maine chopping down uh, lumber. Virginians had no clue what it was like to be in Southern Georgia, where, you know, you roast for six months out of the year because it's hundred degrees and 90% humidity. And so the idea of a federal system was that the states would have most of the power and have most of the governance of the people and within the, their borders, right within their borders. Yeah. And then the national entity would then negotiate treaties, stand up armies, wage wars, deal with interstate trade, et cetera, et cetera. And so when we come in and say we're a democracy, we're not. I, I'm sorry. I know what you were taught in school. Your history <laughs> teachers sucked. Your history teachers sucked. We are not a democracy. We are a representational republic. And that's important. And it's important in that if we did what Engineer Keith suggested, this country would cease to exist because you're not going to get, uh, what is it, three quarters and Remind me the numbers. You're not going to get three quarters to change the constitution. Number one, it's not going to happen. And number uh, three quarters of the states, by the way. Yeah. And we have to to remember this is a compact. 
This is a compact and an agreement. So when we complain that Californians are underrepresented, and I'm not arguing they aren't, I'm not. Uh, since we capped a number in the House of Representatives, it, it's ridiculous that 700,000 voters get one congressperson, one, one, one member of the House. That's insane. Uh, and uh, I, I don't disagree with that. But we have to understand why the system was designed the way it was. We have seven, some, some sociologists say seven very distinct cultures in the United States. And, and what makes sense to a Northeasterner uh, particularly in New England or Upper New England, which you and I, which you enjoyed watching me discover, was a very different culture than Southern New England. By the way, Charles picked on me for a whole summer about that because <laughs> I had no clue; I'd never been up there. But really, we have so many different cultures here. It's a system that works. I didn't say it works well, but it works for us. And, and so, I'm not so quick to throw those those things away. I'm well, just I not. think the question that has to be asked, and I'm not offering an answer here, but I think it's a question that does have to be asked. Is and you've made this this. Uh, argument to me a number of times, Mike. The concept that was put together uh, in 1778. 1781, 1781. Yeah. 81, okay. Well, it, <laughs> it, it, it wasn't done in one month, so they, they worked on it for a while. It was a year or so, right? What was a, was a vision, was, was a concept designed for a very different vision of what America was and could be. I don't think any of the founding fathers had any concept of what America would become. No, no. And I think, not. I think within that they did a brilliant job. I mean, were there some things they could have done better? Yes. I'm sure most of us can think of one or two, but I think all things considered, all things considered with what they had to work and, and with their efforts to look towards the future and say, how can we create something that is both self-sustainable and here's where I think even more important, self-correctable. Right. They designed a system that if the people remained engaged it, in, it required government of, by, and for the people, uh, governing, I shouldn't say government, governing of, by, and for the people, then it could correct what mistakes may have either been inherently there or, or discovered down the line and, and, and grow and develop. But it requires the engagement of the citizenry. And... Okay, there's box A. Now, box B, going back to this idea, I don't think they ever imagined it would be possible. Um, you know, Manifest Destiny was not there when they signed the Constitution. Oh, no. All right. Uh, the, they went from numbers ranging in thousands to hundreds of millions. You know, we, we, they, I don't see how they could possibly have seen where things were going. And I will add that same culture, and, and I'm, we're not going to get into gun conversation, but for those who are all about, well, the Constitution is clear and concise, I would say that the same argument should be made in all these areas. And I don't think the reality of, of weaponry, so to speak, firearms, was anything they could have possibly conceived of at the time that they wrote uh, the laws and the Second Amendment. We're going to save them. that discussion. Well, no, we're but here's the point. Again, I don't. I'm not <laughs> trying to go into that right now. But I think that what what matters in all of these areas that are the hot button issues of today, and certainly gun legislation is one of them, um, and voting legislation and freedoms and you know reproductive rights and all these other things are. They were not even conceivable issues at the level that they are today when these laws, for the most part, were written, which is why they brilliantly created a system of both self-government, self-governing and self-correcting uh, when things came down the line and, and adjusting. And, you know, there are a lot of people who argue one way that, you know, the Constitution is written in stone and others say, no, it's a living document. That's what the amendments are for. The, the Bill of Rights. Well, the amendment process is real and it's there and that's what makes it a living document. Exactly. And, and it should be. And it should be. I mean, there were Absolutely. very obvious, huge uh, missteps in the original version. They even saw it right away and said, no, we got to correct these quick. Yeah, they, they <laughs> hit it with 10 new amendments immediately. Absolutely. Immediately. After ratification. Uh, and, and then and it, so, and yeah. it continued down the line. But it would not have happened if the people did not engage. Of course. Of course, it's a lot easier to get three quarters of 13 states to ratify an idea than it is to get three quarters of 50 
to come up with an idea. <laughs> and uh, also so, at the time when only white landowners well, could be part of the electorate. We can add a whole new level of the conversation <laughs> there, of course. But well, let's, and, let's and pretend you, everybody was singing Kumbaya and <laughs> women and kids and to black your folks. Point, Virginia has more people now than the United States had at the ratification time of the Constitution. Well, there you go. Virginia and Virginia is not a highly, I think it's one of the more populous states, but it's not. Just the northern tip, basically. Right. And it's not the top 10. You know, no. it's somewhere in the, probably the second 10 would be my guess. Uh, Engineer Keith can figure that out. But I, I, I think to your point, yes, they did not, they did not foresee it, but they did build a process in it to grow. And, and by the way, quick history lesson. Jefferson wasn't there when the Constitution was written and ratified. Jefferson was in France as a as a as a diplomat to France. That's true. That's true. Uh, I, I always love when people say, "Well, Jefferson didn't write." James Madison and Gouverneur Morris are the principal authors of the Constitution. Yeah. Uh, Declaration and, of I, I Independence is different than Constitution. If anyone wasn't sure, right, right, right. <laughs> but everybody says Jefferson, Jefferson, Jefferson. I think Jefferson, by the way, was intentionally shipped out. But we can have that conversation. And by the way, the George Washington didn't write anything. Right. <laughs> no, uh, there was a committee of five who wrote the the Constitution. I can't remember the other three, but but I remember Governor Morris and James Madison. And they all had excellent penmanship. Um, Everybody, and this is this is going to your point though, and we're going to wrap this all the way back around. Watch how I do this. Okay, they had an educated class that was far better educated than our current educated class, in that uh, they had read the classics. They spoke multiple languages: Greek, Latin, English, French. They had studied rhetoric in the Greek. They had studied logic. And and by the way, rhetoric meaning the art of of making argument and convincing of ideas, not rhetoric the way we use it today as some dirty term about the way politicians talk. Right, right. And 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 I'm not saying we don't have incredibly we're not any dumber or smarter than they were back then. We're we're about the same, Uh but. We don't. We're not as educated as that group of people were. And, and by the way, I still think the reason why they wrote Ship Jefferson off was because if you read his anti-slavery slavery stuff, they didn't want that in the Constitution. But anyway, uh, uh, moving forward, though, they were not perfect, and they knew they weren't perfect. And, and by the way, Patrick Henry, give me liberty or give me death. About the Constitution, said I smell a rat. So, so even in their own time, they were taking huge hits from from other folks who of power. Uh, so, I, I think though that what has happened is, and this Keith Keith brought this up, people don't know that they can send in a letter to the registrar and get an absentee ballot. Now, the success of Joe Biden and my friends on the right, you're not going to like hearing this. The reason why Joe Biden was elected president wasn't because voting machines were rigged. It wasn't because people voted six and seven times. The simple fact of the matter, and Time Magazine covers this, so I'm not making it up. It was in an issue of Time, I think, in uh, February. Democrats worked very hard to open access to absentee voting. They called it securing the election. And the simple fact is that people who hadn't voted previously or hadn't voted in quite some time could sit down at their kitchen table, fill out a ballot, stick it in an envelope, walk it out to their post box and have it get mailed in. And, and that's why Joe Biden was elected president, like it or not. And, and I'm sorry, it wasn't a miscount. Uh, and I know what Stalin said, so you don't need to bring it up. So now, now have I made everybody angry that you haven't, Charles? <laughs> so. Oh, I, I, I'm sure I still could knock off a few pegs. But um, oh, so here's the numbers, by the way. Yeah. In 1776, we had 2.5 million in the colonies. Uh, Virginia ranks number 12. And the states for population at 8.6 8 million, 8.6 8. yeah. as of last year. Yeah, I, I thought that the colony, that the 13 were 8 million, maybe the colonies and adjacent territories were eight. Um, but here's so. So, again, getting back to the root of this whole thing, the, the I, we, we talk about and I'm going to go out on a limb and say, I think maybe the most important thing that. I've said it already several times that our founding fathers, our constitutional scholars uh, who created this thing did was to not only um, create self-sustaining government structures, but self-correcting government structures. But they were contingent on one basic idea that the people were engaged in governing themselves. And I'll I'll grant it's a lot harder when we have those kind of population differences to engage a couple hundred thousand relative to multiple millions. 
Right. It's it's harder. But you want to talk about if we do X or Y, the country will cease to exist. Well, to me, disengagement is a very clear way for the country such as we know it or have known it or have been taught exists, whether it really ever did or not, to to cease is for people to just simply step away. And, you know, for the 40 people of you dedicated, wonderful listeners out there, you're probably the choir we're preaching to, not the ones that need to hear this. But maybe someday uh, we and others like us uh, who, who would say this, it's in this and, and this goes back to your point earlier, Mike. I, yes, I think it's important to vote for the president and you do need to vote your conscience. And there are many different ways to satisfy that conscience. Sometimes it's for someone you may not love, but there is an ideal you're still voting for, regardless of which side of the aisle you're on. Sometimes there is a particular individual that you just think is a worthy and, and we've all, you know, I think we both agreed Ron Paul for a time at least was one of these. I, Okay. I don't think he stood a snowball's chance, but I, it's too bad because I think he was, hell, I liked Ross Perot. And we talked about Tulsi Gabbard earlier. Yeah, absolutely. Tulsi was a very good candidate but for even, folks to think like we do. Absolutely, like absolutely, do. absolutely. But even if, <laughs> even if the, at the national level, it's just not doing it for you, you have to be engaged then at your local level. You need to be engaged with your with your governor. You need to be engaged with your, your state reps. You need to be engaged with your town council, your school representatives, whatever the case is. And the minute you step back and say, well, it doesn't matter. It's all a wash. You know, this language that they love it and the, the quote, they love it when we accept because then it just clears a void to be filled in then that's when uh, the country ceases to exist. Something else will be there. It's not like we're all going to go poof and we're gone. Something will step in, but it's not going to be this great uh, 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 American uh, state that we all learn is so wonderful and, and, and magnificent and the greatest country in the world and all this other nonsense that they like to teach. Um, it's, it doesn't or, mean that we're not a good country sometimes. He's talking well, no about argument. some of the some of the things we do are really but let rot. me let me say this just for the record if you meet somebody uh at work or 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 at school whatever you may come across and they're constantly going i am the great i mean except for muhammad ali i am the best i am the greatest i got nothing else to learn no one can teach me a thing i'm the Absolutely. way the truth and the light sort of jesus would, is this a person we want to hang out with? Is this a person yeah. we want to learn from? Is this a person we want to respect who has some place to grow and improve? Is that the kind of individual we would want to teach our children to be? Of course not. So why should we engage those values as a nation either? Of course we have ways to grow and improve. Of course we have things we can learn and maybe even learn from some of the other nations in the world. I'll give you an example. The Germans are much better drivers than we are. <laughs> So well, that's because it's so hard to get a license there. Amen. We're also better beer Germans are also better beer drinkers than we are. But we, we won't go down that line. You know, you, you you hit some really really great points, and, and I think engagement doesn't begin at the ballot box; it ends at the ballot box. Mm -hmm. and, and I mean that you need to start to get out those books because we could both be full of it, and we could be completely wrong. So so we would love for you to get your friends who the listeners get your friends who don't vote start to read up on how the system's supposed to work and understand why there's an electoral college, right or wrong, good or bad, figure out why it was put in place and why that's the way it works and figure out why we have representational government and figure out why we capped it at 435. And why in 1913 did we start the direct election of senators instead of allowing states to appoint senators? And why is there a federal reserve when we're not supposed to have a national bank? And I'm not saying this is, I'm not saying I'm for or against it. I'm just saying, why did all these things happen? And, and so I, I think it's very important that you do start your engagement in the process. Pick up your phone when you disagree with someone, call a legislator. Uh, as write I said us. in the previous- Write us. If you yeah. listen to this program and you you are vastly in agreement or you are vomiting in disgust, whatever the range of your response is. Or if we fail to make you angry in this Yeah, episode. we can step up our game or educate us. If we've been vehemently wrong, by, write us. It's what? Civil Discourse TNSS at gmail.com. Let us know what and, 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 and get engaged. And I want to go back to something Keith said, but we've all said in our own way. 
um, because it's true. Education, so to speak, may be failing us um, in, in, in our history, our understanding of history, politics, civics, etc. And I think for a lot of people, they aren't getting it. And by the way, I'm going to put myself up there. I mean, my school system did not provide the well-rounded historical education that, that it really could have and should have. Um, do I sound like somebody who hasn't uh, studied on this subject? No, no, because you picked up books and self-educated. And here, let me tell you a little story, and 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 maybe we should end with this um, about the value of self-education. Um, there, there was an individual, um, contrary to to how great he's still doing, according to Donald Trump, uh, he's been dead for a while. Um, his name was Frederick Douglass. And he was born a slave in this country. There's a wonderful autobiography of Frederick Douglass. It's worth reading, um, though there's going to be a point where you're going to be very disappointed because he, you get to the pinnacle of the book where he's about to escape from slavery. And then he stops and he says, and I'm not going to tell you how I did it so that I don't ruin it for anybody else who might figure out how to do it behind me. Um, but it was written when slavery was still legal in this country. Absolutely. And <laughs> one of the things he talks about is that slaves in America, and probably elsewhere too, but it was definitely the case here, were forbidden from learning to read, from education beyond whatever skills they were, they were supposed to exercise on the plantation. But reading was considered a, a weapon that they could use by enlightenment and education uh, to, to rise up. So they were forbidden from learning how to read. And uh, people like Frederick Douglass, not everybody, but many of them, and he was one of the great examples, uh, were so not okay with that limitation on their life that they he snuck out into the barn at night with a tiny little candle in a very small back corner and hid behind some hay where nobody could see him. And he literally taught himself how to read and not only how to read, how to count he studied everything he could find to, to read and educate himself. I mean, he was the true self-educated man um, and went on to become one of the greatest speakers, writers, and intellectuals in our nation's history. And the excuse, well, I didn't have a good education, was not okay with him. And it shouldn't be okay with any of us. You know, yes, a lot of us have had uh, less than privileged opportunities to uh, uh, improve ourselves. And many people have had those privileges and have chosen not to avail themselves of it. But as long as the heart's still beating, you have the opportunity to improve, just like we're arguing the nation should take the opportunity to improve. And that happens when the people get engaged. And that's what I have to say about that. I'll get that off and my high horse. that's going to be the last <laughs> word on this episode, because I think that's a good place to stop. And, uh, so if, if, if Charles inspired you, uh, do pick up the autobiography of Frederick Douglass, who I believe ended in Fort Washington. He, at the end of his life, lived in Fort Washington, Maryland, which is mm -hmm. very close to the Capitol, and engaged in long um, correspondences with, with several high-profile individuals historically. Including Abraham uh, Lincoln, one of his closest friends, uh, ultimately. Yes. And, and please, if, if you want suggestions for books, uh, write us and, and we will give you each of us, we'll give you our list and they will be very different. And, and if you read them both, then you can come to your own conclusions, which would be an interesting thing, right? Read read stuff from both sides and make your own mind up. Who on anyway. earth would do that? <laughs> yes, yes. And, and you know, before before I hand this back to you, I do want to thank you for, for coming back. I want to Thank Engineer Keith for, for filling in for you. It was a lot of fun. I think we have two really good episodes that, that folks have just probably gotten done listening to with Keith and myself. Uh, and, and I'm glad to have you back. And, you know, there's going to be really cool next week it is we're going to be in studio together recording. Uh, but before I hand it back to you, I got one last thing to say. Please, please go give us those five-star reviews. Tell us how terrible we are. Tell us how we made you angry. And when you're done railing and ranting about how awful we were, please just make sure we get five stars. Uh, <laughs> we're growing and, and we see the growth, uh, but we need your help to grow more. If, if you like what we're doing here, uh, I, you know, I, the funny thing is you and I just ended a conversation where at, at one point there were three voices going all at the same time, but nobody got upset. How's that happen? So well, that's why this 
Of yours, buddy, just for the record. I mean, you know, yes, just to put yes. it out there. And, and both, of you, both of you are wrong about everything. Yes, yes. <laughs> anyway, well. uh, I know you have a list of folks we need to thank, so I will shut up and let you read that wonderful list. Well, uh, I will uh, go through that. And starting with the uh, Sacred Heart University, where our show is recorded and produced, we want to give thanks to them in the School of Communication and the Arts here. Dr. Jim Castingay, our illustrious engineer editor, contributing and occasional co-host Keith Sedroyevi, uh, who we are always thrilled to have with us, um, who also stepped in for me, a special thanks for me, um, and co-hosted while I was away the last couple of weeks. So thank you again, Keith. Uh, I am Charles Frederick Secrease, my co-host, Dr. Mike Koniger, and uh, of course, the Lazarus Trio, Carl Groves and Mike Koniger as well. Uh, for the wonderful music that uh, brings us in and takes us out of this fine show. Any any uh, last words there, Dr. Conager? Thank you. Thank you for, for being, again, the brains of this operation. I get to sit here and look pretty while you do all the hard thinking, and I do appreciate it. There's a little sarcasm mixed in there. Oh, it hurts. It hurts. <laughs> but, the, but, the truth, but the truth is real. You are, you are the driving force of this podcast, and I recognize that. So thank you very much for being here. And everyone just go out and be kind to each other, okay? And get involved. See you next time. We want to get and we want you now. We want to get, we want you now. We want to get, we want you now. We want to get. Surrender.